From minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, this podcast is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and this is Employed. I would say there was there was some tension in the room as we were talking about these things, and I think some people were a little bit skeptical, a little bit like, what are you telling me right now? This is hard to hear because these are folks that work in the system. And I'm, and I'm saying there are problems with the system. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Joanna. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. My name is Joanna and I am a policy analyst who works in criminal justice reform. I currently live in Washington, D.C., but I actually have been working remotely for an organization based in Boston for several years while I've kind of moved around for my husband's work. So that's been a huge blessing that I've been able to stay in one job while we've moved. Um, We've moved twice already and we're moving again this year. (laughs) So can you kind of just give a nutshell on you know, what your job title means or what you're trying to accomplish. I know that, you know, you work in criminal justice reform. What might that mean to listeners who have no idea? Yeah. So criminal justice reform is trying to make the criminal justice system work better to try to get better outcomes to folks who have been arrested or incarcerated. And also to make sure that the money that we're spending, that the government is spending, is going to the right place. And so sometimes, um, you know, incarceration, for example, is very expensive and it usually does not result in great outcomes for people who are incarcerated. Um, Longer terms of incarceration actually ends up increasing recidivism, which means if someone goes to prison for a long time, they're actually more likely to commit a new crime after they leave prison. And so something we try to do is make sure that resources are going to the right places so that people are committing less crimes. We want to be safer. We want everyone to be safer. Um, And we want to use the best practices out there to achieve those outcomes. Is it pretty common for this position that you're gonna discuss to be a remote job or is that mostly just because of the pandemic? I think it's definitely going to become more common because of the pandemic, but um, my job was actually remote even before the pandemic. It just so happened that my organization had staff who lived throughout the country, and we typically are able to do a lot of our work from home. And then we usually travel during the year to various um, clients that we serve. Well, yeah, let's just dive right into this job. So what made you interested in this career path? Yeah, it's a good question. So I studied criminology in my undergrad degree, and I sort of went into college like vaguely interested in psychology, interested in languages, interested in people, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do or exactly what I wanted to study. And I had a friend who was studying criminology And she told me about some of the coursework and it sounded really interesting. And it's sort of, it's sort of a combination of psychology, sociology, and history, which are all really interesting to me. So I started taking criminology classes and really found it very intriguing. Um, I also was in school in Philadelphia 
and that city has a lot of issues with crime and poverty and, and racial disparities. And so I was sort of seeing the realities of what I was learning in the classroom. And it really inspired me to want to make a difference for people that um, interact with the criminal justice system. And so I decided that my criminology degree was very sort of research focused and that was not what I personally wanted to do. I wanted to be more active and make changes. Um, and so I was looking around at different graduate degrees and what could kind of get me to that sort of practice level. I looked into public policy degrees or public administration degrees, but they didn't quite have the focus on, on people and kind of the human experience that I was looking for. Um, so I found social work, which I know you've had social workers on and I believe you're a social worker yourself, well, yeah. so you're familiar. Yeah, so in social work, as, as you know, but the audience may not know, there's clinical social work, which is people that are working sort of with individuals or maybe families, and it's trying to make kind of person level change or maybe a small community level change. And then there's macro level social work, which is what I studied and what I do, where you're trying to make changes at the systemic level. So people might work in the educational system or in various other systems trying to make changes on kind of a, a larger scale. So yeah, so it led me to my master's of social work program, which I loved and I felt like it had a really good balance of the research, but also the human centered approach and the kind of psychological aspects and the behavioral aspects that I was really interested in. So from my master's program, I started working at a sheriff's office um, which they run the county jail. And I was doing some data analysis there for a while. And then I transitioned to my current role, which is at a nonprofit that does criminal justice reform all over the country. And so now I do data and policy analysis there. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate you kind of walking through just your thought process and all of that and the choices that you had to make to get there. What is required, um, you know, as far as a degree, as far as licenses or certificates, what's required to land that job? There's a lot of nonprofits who do this work and typically they will hire folks. Um, a lot of them will hire folks with master's degrees. It can be social work like mine. It can be public policy. There's a few lawyers that I work with. Um, but sort of those degrees, I would say, are, are most common. We also have folks with PhDs, usually in sociology or criminology or something like that. Um, but there are definitely folks with a bachelor's degree who get right into the work after college. And from my experience, most people who come straight out of college have studied something around criminal justice, it might be sociology, it might be, there's maybe some political science majors, kind of things in that area. And so what range of salary can someone typically expect to make in this type of position with this year amount of years in the field? Do you feel that this also allows you to meet your financial goals? This is a great question. I think the salary range definitely depends on your education and, and level of experience, but I'm sort of, I have a master's degree, I have a couple years of experience and I'm 
somewhat new in my career. I've been working for a few years now, but um, I would guess based on what I know about other organizations that are similar as well, is that the salary range can be from sort of 45 up to 70 for sort of being early on in your career and um, maybe just having a bachelor's or maybe having a master's. It's certainly not the most lucrative career path. It's usually nonprofits or maybe government agencies, which just aren't able to pay as much. They typically try to make up for that in having good benefit packages or having good like retirement matching plans and things like that. But, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are lawyers or in other fields and they come right out of school and make Boku bucks. So you're not getting that if you're going into criminal justice reform, but um, I'm personally able to do it because I also have a working spouse. Um, I think if I were on my own, I may have to make different choices about uh, what I was, what I'm doing for work to be able to do the things that I want to do in my life. And then of course, are there opportunities for continuing growth or salary increases, improvement within your position? Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities where I'm at. Um, in my organization, you kind of come in at the analyst level, but you're able to move up to a more specialist level and a senior level. And there's a lot of kind of rungs on the ladder that I think at least at my organization, people are encouraging of growth and they really want to see new folks learn and grow and move up within the organization. So there's a lot of opportunities for growth um, and with growth in your title and position comes salary increases as well. So who manages you? Um, how is your progress measured? Yeah, so this is actually an interesting question because at my organization, the management structure is a little bit different than what I think you would find at a lot of other organizations. So I think typically at other organizations, there's one sort of manager of a team or of a department. Right. And they are the ones that are measuring everyone on that team's progress. And they're the ones kind of like managing the work and leading um, all of those people that are on their team. At my organization, we each have an individual supervisor who we may or may not actually work on projects with. And like my supervisor, for example, only supervises me, but she does manage other people and projects. So you're sort of like slated to individuals rather than on a team with one manager, if that makes right. sense. So all that to say, um, my manager, I, I do work on a couple projects with her, but I also work on projects with other people who are quote unquote managers, but they aren't my manager. Right. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that it is sounds confusing, but I think it allows a lot of like individual attention that you wouldn't otherwise get if you had one person managing 10 people. Um, and so at my organization, we have um, a grid that has all the different levels of positions at our organization and all the different skills that we expect people to have. And then you kind of work towards increasing your skill in a different area. So like one skill we think about is writing and, you know, are you able to write on your own without a lot of edits? Are you able to write for different audiences? That's like one skill that your manager might work with you on and measure your progress on. Okay, well, that's good to know. Thank you. And 
like I'm kind of going off the cuff for a second on this one, but I mean, what skills do you think are necessary for a job like this? I mean, writing, I, that's probably one I would have overlooked. What are some other ones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, writing is one, um, being able to read and understand policies like state statutes, um, bills that are going through the legislature, um, research articles that relate to best practices in the fields. Um, I think all that is pretty important, being able to read and understand and kind of synthesize information that's out there. Um, also, we, we call it like stakeholder management or stakeholder engagement, but we work with a lot of different kinds of folks all over the country. So we work with people um, ranging from police officers to governors to uh, and everywhere in between. Um, and so it's really important to be able to form relationships with people, to be able to explain, you know, this is who I am, this is the organization I work for, this is the project we're doing, um, and be able to get buy-in from the folks that we're working with. So sort of, I guess, relationships um, generally is a really important skill too. What are your typical work hours? Do you find that it's challenging to balance the demands of work with your family life? How flexible is your work schedule? I am a huge proponent of work-life balance. That is extremely important to me. So I personally am able to set those boundaries and keep my hours pretty much nine to five, Monday through Friday. I do have colleagues who don't do that. And I think in at some level, it's their choice. They do want to put more time into work and, um, you know, maybe they're just not as interested in having that balance. But for me, it's very important to me. And so I kind of make it happen. Of course, there's always times where I have to work a later evening or on a weekend. But for me, there are, those times are more rare. Um, so I don't have kids yet, but part of why I'm so strict with those boundaries is that I want to have kids soon and I want to be able to stop work at the end of the day and then spend time with kids um, and spend time with my family. So that's really important to me. Um, and then flexibility wise, I would say because I do work remotely, it is pretty flexible. I have a lot of meetings during the day, so I need to be online and obviously in those meetings. But outside of that, if I need to work earlier in the morning or later in the evening, I'm able to do that. I have some colleagues with kids who have obviously had them home at various times over the last year, year and a half due to the pandemic. And so they've been able to kind of shift their hours so that they can take care of their kids and their kids schooling and also get their work done. Okay, walk me through an average day at your job. Yeah, sure. So I do a few different things at my job. Um, I do write reports. So sometimes I'll spend a couple hours of my day writing or editing a report that we're going to release to the public or release to a certain um, client that we're working with. Um, I also do some data analysis, so I may spend some of my day working in Stata or Excel, cleaning data, analyzing data, um, trying to figure out what's going on in a given data set. 
I usually do have a couple meetings with colleagues. So right now it's all on Zoom um, or, the, or the phone sometimes, but we usually talk about, okay, where is this project at? What do we need to do to move it forward? Are we having any challenges? How can we overcome those? And then, you know, responding to emails or things like that. So does that give you a good picture? It of the does, day? <laughs> it does, okay. it does, thank you. How often are you interacting with other people in this field? I mean, some people prefer to be in their own office with their headphones in and kind of be in the zone, whereas others like to collaborate. What do you find more in this profession? Hmm. I think I have a pretty good mix, actually. Um, When I look at my schedule or calendar, I feel like I do have a lot of hours where I'm talking to my colleagues either just chatting them on Slack, which is how we chat each other during the day or speaking to them on the phone or being on Zoom with them. Um, But I also have a lot of hours where I'm just writing or just looking at data or reading, stuff like that. Um, The other part of my job that we have not done due to the pandemic for about a year and a half, um, but typically do quite frequently is travel. And so when we're traveling, we are interacting with people a lot and that can be exhausting. Um, But then, you know, you come back to your home office and then you kind of have a chance to regroup and chill a lot. But the travel I find really energizing and motivating because I'm in the place where we're trying to make the change. So one example is we're working with um, a police department that was sued for racially biased stops and frisks, essentially. So during non-pandemic times, we would travel to that city. We would go on ride-alongs with the police officers. We would sit in on trainings with the police officers. We would have meetings with command staff where we present data to them and we say, hey, this is what's going on in your department over the last six months or year. Um, And we have a lot of that in-person interaction with the people um, who are, who have to make changes. The, the, the police department was told by a court, you have to make these changes. And so we are trying to help that process along. So I think those interactions are really motivating and energizing, but I also do get exhausted and I'm very happy to come home at the end of a trip and sort of regroup and be by myself for a little bit. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. And are these uh, travels, are these mostly local travels day to day or are these like extended travels staying overnight somewhere else? Yeah, these are extended travels, usually maybe two or three nights. It sort of depends on the project, but they're typically not where you live. Like you couldn't drive Mm -hmm. to the place. So usually we're flying and then staying a few nights. And so pre-pandemic, what percentage of your work involved travel would you say? Was this more than half the time you were out on the road? A little less, a little more? Um, Less than half my time. I would say at my busiest, I was traveling twice a month, um, maybe three times a month if things were really crazy. But um, during a slower time, I would travel once a month or maybe every other month. Okay, that is good to know for some of our listeners. Thank you. So what's a really good day you've had at your job or what's a day that stands out in a positive way? This is a great question. I'm going to share something from a previous job, actually. So when I was working at the sheriff's office, 
Um, one day I, so they sent me on a trip to Alabama to the Equal Justice Initiative, which I encourage listeners, if they're interested in this field, to look into that. Um, I don't work for them in any way, but they do great stuff. So anyway, I was lucky enough to go there for work and they have a museum and they have a lot of educational materials that sort of serve to inform folks about the criminal justice system and how it became what it is today. And so after I returned from this trip, I presented what I learned to the command staff at the sheriff's office. And you might imagine it was a little controversial um, criminal justice reform in general can be a little controversial, especially when you bring race into the mix, which unfortunately is, is a part of the puzzle. There's a lot of racial disparities and racial bias in the criminal justice system. And that's another thing that we try to root out. But anyway, so I was talking about all the things I learned on, on the trip and talking about, you know, kind of one of the things we talked about is how slavery you can kind of trace the roots from slavery to mass incarceration and the current system. And so I would say there was, there was some tension in the room as we were talking about these things. And I think some people were a little bit skeptical, a little bit like, what are you telling me right now? This is hard to hear because these are folks that work in the system. And I'm, and I'm saying there are problems with the system <laughs> and that is hard to hear, but at the end of the presentation, everyone thanked me and said it was a really good discussion. And they were like, I'm gonna think about these things. And that to me was, I mean, that's why I'm in this work is to change people's minds and to help people understand what is wrong with the criminal justice system and sort of why it's wrong and what are different things we can do to make it better. And so I just thought it was a really fun moment for me to be able to share some knowledge with people and to have a positive outcome where they, you know, they were like, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to, I'm going to ponder this. And um, it was, it was sort of a little thing, like, you know, there's not a huge change that's going to come out of that conversation. But to me, those moments are kind of what make this work worth it. Right. It's a small and necessary step for any sort of change, right, is the educational component and exposing people to an issue. So that's wonderful. That sounds very validating and rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then what does a bad day look like or what are challenges that you find yourself facing? Yeah, it can vary. Um, Sometimes a challenge is with a data set that is really hard to work through. Um, Sometimes the data are really confusing or really unclean or there's just problems and I'm trying, you know, I want to get this one answer and it's taking a really long time to figure out. And so that can be frustrating and that can be a challenge. And that's sort of a challenge that I would face more myself because I have an assignment to do this data analysis and it's not really going as quickly or as easily as I wanted it to but a challenge my team or organization would face is getting pushback from stakeholders that we're working with. So for example, coming back to the police department that we work with, if they are not making the changes that they're supposed to be making, or if they're telling us, you know, we don't want to do X, Y, Z thing, or, you know, 
if there's just like tension between us and the client or stakeholder we're working with, that can be really tough. Um, and usually we kind of group together as a team and talk about, okay, how can we change our strategy with working with this person or this group so that we can kind of get past this barrier. Okay, so what other related fields should others look into if this career is an area of interest? Yeah, I think I haven't talked about the legislative side of this so much, but that is a huge piece of the pie. It's not personally where I am the most excited or energized. So I typically don't work on legislative projects, but there are tons of opportunities to get involved with legislative work where you are, you might be drafting the language of a bill, you might be talking to representatives about what a bill means, you might be giving testimony on what a bill means. Um, you might be doing data analysis to be able to say, hey, if you make this change in um, legislation, then you'll have these outcomes. And I think all that is really, really important. And there's a ton of opportunity in that area too. What is your end goal in this career path? Where do you hope to be by the end of your career? I do not know. <laughs> it is something I think about um, and it sort of changes from year to year. Um, my perspective right now is I'm just going to keep doing what interests me and kind of keep doing the next thing that feels right. I could see myself growing at my current organization and moving into a more managerial role. Eventually, I could also see myself going back into the government and working at a police department to sort of oversee reform within a department or to oversee, you know, a specialty unit where social workers work with police, something like that. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that honest answer. I think a lot of us adults feel a lot of pressure to have an end goal in mind and our every day is leading up until then. I really appreciate that answer of just, I'm just right now doing what interests me. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. So thank you for, for sharing that and being honest Absolutely. about that. What advice specifically for women do you have for anyone, you know, wanting to enter this career field? Yeah, this is a great question. I, I do think it is a great career for women because there are a lot of women in the fields. Um, but at the same time, it's not very lucrative. So, and I, I am all about women making money and being able to provide for themselves or their families. Um, and so I guess one piece of advice related to money is advocate for yourself. If you feel like what you've been offered in a job does not match your worth or your value, ask for more. I think it never hurts to do that. I've asked many times, I haven't always gotten the amount that I wanted to, but sometimes I get a little more than I was initially offered. And I think that is huge and sets you up for success down the road. But I think also in this field, patience is really important. Sometimes changes that we want to happen do not happen at all, or they happen very slowly, or they happen in small ways and not in big ways. And so I think you just kind of have to be realistic in this field and be patient um, and celebrate the small wins that you get along the way. A big thank you to Joanna for donating her time to the show. Follow us on Instagram at Employed Podcast and visit our website, employedpodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening.